Thank you so much for that. That was a blessing. I appreciate our folks so much. I maintain, as I have many times publicly, I think we have the best folks, best church around. Amen? I'm grateful for you. And uh, you helped that by being here. The young people can be dismissed, children, at this time. Good to see the DeSabos and their new dog here today. That's a blessing. That's uh, good, to, good to have you all here today. All right, up to fourth grade, children can be dismissed. Thankful for the Evens teaching them there. We're in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to start turning there. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue down our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> My grandpa always loved to regale us with stories of back in the Amish uh, early times in, in his life when there was no electricity and no modern conveniences. And uh, there was a tight-fisted old farmer who was taking his hired hand to task because he was carrying a lighter lantern to go call on his girl. And uh, the farmer said, when I was younger and when I was courting, I never carried one of those things. He said, I always went in the dark. And the hired hand said, yeah, and we've all seen what you got, too. So, <laughs> Light is important to everything we do, wouldn't you agree? Following the Beatitudes, Jesus addresses the most important principles of doing which follows being. It's important that we be what God wants us to be before we do what God wants us to do. Failure to do this can leave us drained and exhausted and discouraged. It can also lead to an inconsistent Christian life. But then there's the other side of the picture where some Christians are so put so much focus on the being that they never get around to doing anything. And that's important too. Jesus uses salt and light in this passage that we talked last week about salt, and we'll read this week about light, and uh, to illustrate the importance of our influence on this world. Last week, we talked about salt. Now let's start reading at verse number 14 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I want to preach today on this subject. It is a time to shine. It's a time to shine. Father, I pray you'd help us as we work through this passage. I pray that you'd just challenge us individually from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. He says, ye are the light of the world. Now, salt, we talked about, is hidden in its work. Light is, uh, the, the, the work of light is obvious. Salt tends to work secretly, and light works openly. Salt works from within. Light works from without. Our effect as salt works primarily through our living, while our effect as lights uh, comes more from our speaking. Uh, Christians are the light of the world, the Bible says. So what does this statement really mean for us today? Now, it's interesting. In John 9, 5, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in this passage, he says, ye are the light of the world. And with those verses taken together, this means we are to be more like him. We are to be like him in every way that we possibly can. So let's look first at the identity of the believer. Ye are 
the light of the world. As Christians, we're to be a teaching and an influencing power in the world for Christ. Instead of the world influencing us, we ought to be influencing the world, and uh, unfortunately, the reverse happens many times. Now, the term light of the world is interesting because it would be very well known by Jesus' listeners at that at that time. In the temple, there stood in the holy place, about six or seven feet tall, a gold menorah, a lampstand, which had seven branches. It had a central shaft in the middle, and then it had three branches that went up on the sides. And this lampstand gave light to the holy place. The central shaft is significant because it was used to light the other candles, and it also supplied oil to the other lamps. So the priest called this center shaft the servant candle, or they also called it the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. The central shaft reminds us that Christ is to be at the center of our lives. He gives light to the rest of the world the same way that the servant candle gave light to the other six branches. But now he is in heaven, and we are to be the light of the world. Now the believer does not have inherent light. Our light is a reflective light. We ought to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we receive the light of God in our lives, we reflect it to others. That's why we need to make sure that nothing comes between us and our Savior and, uh, and, and kind of halts God's light in our own life. Because when we are distracted and our focus on Christ is blocked, then we are living in the shadows, in darkness. And you cannot be the light of the world if you do not have a relationship with Christ. For instance, if you are abiding in the shadow of materialism or sin or worldliness, you cannot shine. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Paul says we're to shine as lights in the middle of a crooked world. We are not to be hiding in a cave. We're out to be in the open and shining for Christ. Now, that word from that verse, the word crooked, uh, comes from an original word which means perverse or wicked. Perverse from this verse comes from two Greek words. One word means to turn and the other word is added simply for emphasis. So what it's saying is the world essentially has intensely turned from the truth and become perverted and depraved. I don't think we'd argue at that point today, would we? Minnesota's governor supported the Executive Order 23-03 aimed at protecting access to sex changes and puberty blockers for minors. The Executive Order restricted the parental rights of parents they could not get involved or try to block this from happening. Uh, if their child wanted gender-affirming health care, they got it whether or not the parents are behind it. Now, what happens when those parents that oppose the child's demands try to get in the way of that? Well, the logical next step would be removal of the child from those parents. Friends, we live in a dark world. I say it is time to shine. As the years continue to pass, we look at the escalation of depravity in our, you know, really in all aspects of our society. Christ and the Bible are under attack like never before from a secular media and society. Hollywood is not a friend to our Savior, and it is not a friend to the Christian. 
The Da Vinci Code claimed that Jesus did not die, but that he got married to Mary Magdalene and had a child with her. That's wickedness and heresy. Martin Scorsese made a, a movie about Jesus Christ, and it's called The Last Temptation of Christ. And the player, the, the uh, character that played Jesus said this as Jesus, and I quote, I'm a liar, a hypocrite. I'm afraid of everything. I don't ever tell the truth. I don't have the courage. I don't steal and kill, not because I don't want to, but because I'm afraid. My God is fear. Look inside me, and that's all you'll find. Lucifer is inside me, end quote. There will always be a movement towards darkness in a sin-cursed world. And we don't need to be surprised that there is wickedness and movement away from, and not only away from God and Christ, but actually in direct opposition to Him, to them. The attacks and attempts to undermine Christ in the Bible will only get worse as the nearing of Christ's return. Again, I say, it's a time to shine. We need to shine. Christians are the light of the world. So let's talk for a second about what light does. What does light do? If we are the light of the world, what does light do? Well, first, light conquers darkness. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why is it important that we be lights? Well, it's important because this world is in darkness. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, darkness by itself is one thing, but intentional darkness is even worse. It's one thing for us to refuse uh, to, to be in darkness, but yet another to deliberately live in a cave and refuse to come to the light. So why is there a desire and a craving in our world for darkness? Well, John tells us the world loves darkness because its deeds are evil. Very simply, if you are about to do something evil, you don't want to do it in the light. You want to do it in the dark. In fact, uh, 65% of violent crimes in our nation happen at night under the cover of darkness. Now, it's uh, one neat thing is that darkness alone cannot dispel light. We might have corners of darkness even in this room today, but it doesn't dispel the light. While just the tiniest bit of light can dispel darkness. I like that. Last year, my son Micah and I visited the Wind Cave in the Black Hills, and we will walk through this cave. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, we, we went down these stairs in the cave, went pretty deep. And uh, at the bottommost part of the cave, there came a point where they turned off all the lights, and it was dark. You couldn't see a thing. Complete darkness. Micah had never looked better than he did at that moment. I mean, it was completely dark. And then the tour guide uh, on the other end of, I mean, we couldn't see anything, but he flicked on a lighter. And in the middle of that huge cavern, that little light from that flame made a huge impact in the cave itself. Let your light shine. One thing I learned from that is the darker the night, the more effective your light. So let your light shine. It's a time to shine. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, and you're here today or under the sound of my voice, understand this, you're walking in spiritual darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you are sometimes a darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The longest night the world's longest night took place in A.D. 752. 
1752, I'm sorry. This was when they changed from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. So when people went to bed on September 2nd and they went to sleep, when they woke up the next morning, it was September 14th. That's a long night. But it's, but far longer than that night was the night that we spent in sin and lived in before we met the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the light of the world. John 8, 12, Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You have the light. Now shine. It's a time to shine. Light conquers darkness. Secondly, light colors drabness. It Light cheers. It gives warmth and energy. Uh, light is used in Alaska to cure depression or prevent depression in those long, long darknesses they go through, uh, call that cabin fever, and so they use light for that. Uh, we're to encourage and cheer others in the world around us. Years ago, in a mental institution outside of Boston, Massachusetts, one of the patients was a girl they called Little Annie. Thinking she was insane, she was locked in a room so that she would not harm others or herself. About that time, an elderly nurse in the institution was nearing retirement. And she was one of those that really she had hope for all of God's creatures, and she had compassion on little Annie. So she started to take her lunch every day and walk down to her cell, and she would sit right outside, and she would eat her lunch, or she would be close to little Annie. Now, Annie was a lot like a wild animal. She would either attack people or she would completely ignore them like they were there, weren't there. And so this nurse that came, uh, Annie gave no indication that she even realized she was there. One day the elderly nurse brought some brownies and she set the brownies right outside the door and when she looked later they were gone. And so she started to do that, started to bring treats and, and started to try to just show love to little Annie. Well, things started to change and and uh, Annie started to improve, and soon she was moved upstairs, and soon after that she requested to go to the Perkins School for the Blind because she herself had overcome childhood blindness. Now we fast forward. Years later, Queen Victoria of England is pinning England's highest honor on a foreigner named Helen Keller. You know her name probably. And uh, as she's pinning this on, the queen asks her, how do you account for your, the remarkable accomplishments in your life? How do you explain that even though you were born blind and deaf, yet you have impacted a world with your works and your words and your speeches? Without a moment's hesitation, Helen Keller answered, had it not been for my teacher, Ann Sullivan, little Annie as we know her, if it hadn't been for my teacher, Ann Sullivan, the world would never have heard of the name Helen Keller. Yes, Helen Keller influenced millions and continues to do so even today, yet it was only after she was touched by little Annie. And little Annie only did that after she was loved and touched by an elderly nurse who cared. Can I tell you today, the love and encouragement that we show other people through the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, that makes an impact and has a domino effect that might affect many, many people. Does your light give warmth and cheer to others? Are you an encourager? Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Light colors drabness. Does yours? I hope. It's a time to shine. And then thirdly, light changes deadness. Now we know 
That spring isn't far off. Hallelujah. Amen. I like spring. I don't like winter. I like spring. And spring is not that far off. As the earth moves closer in its orbit to the sun, that light reaches out and it brings life out of deadness. That's that. In case any of you were confused this morning on your way to church, that big yellow ball we call the sun, okay? I know we might have forgotten what it looked like this week, but uh, that's, isn't that a glorious thing? I was looking out this morning after yesterday and the day before, and, and the sun was rising. What a beautiful thing that is. It just, it just gives you a better spirit, doesn't it? Because we like. That's what light does. Now, we know that it was the light of the gospel of grace that brought life into our dead souls. Our hearts were warned by the truth of God. We were delivered from death and darkness by His light. And as we let our light shine in a dark and dead world, the same phenomenon will take place. Oh, dear friends, God uses the lights of our testimonies and the lights of our uh, witness to warn the, warm the dead sinner's heart. And that, in turn, draws them to Jesus Christ for salvation. Our light, or I should say, His light reflected through us, uh, brings life of heaven to the dead ones on earth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And some He gave apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Light changes deadness. Light also conditions dreariness. How many times have you seen gloomy, dreary days, and they're transformed when the sun comes out. Everything changes. How often have we felt the chilling fingers of autumn until the sun rises and warmth begins to spread? Well, this world can be a dreary place. We all know that. I'm not referring to the weather. I'm talking about the spiritual climate. It can be dark and dreary and discouraging. Being around God's people should bring a shine into your heart. Thank God for the family of God. They're like a warm ray of light in a dark and dreary place. And that's why I say it's a time to shine. Oscar Wilde, he said that everyone causes happiness. Everyone. Some cause happiness wherever they go. And some cause happiness whenever they go. <laughs> Can you think of somebody like that? Are you that light reflecting Christ that makes things better when you're around? I hope so. Let your light so shine before men. Light conquers darkness. It colors drabness. It changes deadness. It conditions dreariness. Also, light cautions danger. A lighthouse, ocean buoys, uh, police or emergency vehicles all use lights to caution. Uh, often it is a strobe, a light that is a warning to halt because there might be danger ahead. It is bright. It flashes. It gets your attention. It's in your face. It says, hey, hey, pay attention. There's danger here. And the light brings that attention to you. It is our duty to be a warning light to a lost and dying world. I'm eternally grateful to a man named Carl Hasty, who one day came to our family, and that's what he did. He put that flashing warning of the Word of God, and he said, hey, attention, your religion's not going to get you to heaven. Your, the way that you're living is not going to make any difference for you eternity. And he gave us the gospel, and he said, you need Christ in your life. I'm glad that someone was willing to be a light of warning and bring the gospel to our family and let us come to Christ. What a blessing. Sometimes that's what we are, that warning light to others that are in the harvest 
And we need to be, uh, we need to be faithful in that because here, let me give you a really, really, really scary verse. In fact, this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 18. Listen to what God says. When I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn him from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at your hand. Now who would agree that's a scary verse, isn't it? Oh, friend, let me tell you, if we refuse to be the light that we need to be in a world today, if we refuse to give that warning of the gospel to those around us, uh, we're going to stand before God, the Bible says, and there'll be blood on our hands. Why? Because we didn't warn those around us. We didn't turn on the light. We have the gospel. We have the word of God. We have gospel tracts. We have the, uh, we have more than enough things at our disposal to turn on the light. I'm asking you today, it's time to shine. We need to shine. Sometimes our warnings may go unheeded, but we're still to keep warning others. Light cautions danger. Light also continues diligently. Light is unselfish. It shines for the benefit of others. It gives and gives until it is used up. Light uh, it diligently penetrates and seeks out the darkness. We're to be diligent as Christians, doing our duty for Christ, not getting sidetracked, not quitting. If we have a heart for the harvest, as we should, then we're, that will drive you to let your light so shine before men. We've seen the identity of the believer. Now let's look at the issue of uselessness. Because the primary duty, according to our passage, of the light or the lamp, here was to be seen. Now, Scripture uses three different means <coughs> by which our light can be extinguished. One is mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, in the passage we just read. The other two are mentioned other places in the New Testament that I'll take you to. But uh, it gives us really five reasons why Christians don't shine for Christ. In other words, what puts out your light? If you're shining, praise God. If you're not shining, what is it that puts out your light? Let's look at a few things. Uh, first of all, prosperity. Look what the Bible says here. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, the bushel here refers to the grain measure that was found in every house. The bushel is a symbol of money or business. Now, we can get so taken up with materialism in our life that we cease to shine spiritually. We think that things can satisfy us. We think that the things of this world will bring uh, answer that yearning of our heart and that fulfillment that we so crave. And that type of thinking is vanity and foolishness. An old farmer and his wife were attending a county fair years ago. And they saw that for $10 a person, a pilot was taking people up in an old plane. The couple wanted to go up in the plane, but they thought that the price was a little steep. Consequently, they tried to negotiate for a lower cost. We'll pay you $5 a piece. They said, no, no, pilot wouldn't budge. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. You pay the full price for the ride on the plane, and if you don't say one word while you're in the plane, while we're up in the air, if you don't say one word, I'll give you your money back. And they said, it's a deal. So they got in and the pilot says, man, I'm going to have fun with this couple. And so he did. He took off and he did flips and he did twirls 
And he went upside down. And he did spirals. He did everything he could, and there wasn't a peep from the back. Finally, he thought, well, they did it. And he came down and landed, and he shook the man's hand and said, congratulations, here's your money back. You didn't make a sound. And the man says, you know, it was tough. I almost said something when my wife fell out, but $10 is $10, amen? (laughs) It's pretty bad when our priorities are out of whack, wouldn't you agree? Paul warned us of the problems that can accompany wealth. And he's telling us in 1 Timothy 6, 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Take heed, he said, lest the God of materialism sinks its teeth into you. If materialism ever satisfied anyone, it would have satisfied Solomon. He was the richest man in the world. He had 700 wives, and every one of them could have had a Macy's card, and it would have stre- wouldn't have stressed him out at all because he had that much money. He had everything that he could imagine, and yet he found it all pointless. He found that it did not produce happiness or satisfaction. He said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. That's a pretty straightforward statement, isn't it? He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Solomon's conclusion in chapter 12, verse 13 was, Fear God and keep His commandments. Oh, materialism will interfere with our ability to love God and love others, and it'll put your light out, promise you. And then secondly, we have pleasure-seeking. In Mark chapter 4, verse 21, I'll read you this verse, and he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel? or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick. The idea of putting a lamp under a bed. That's funny, isn't it? It wouldn't cause much light in that room, would it, if it's under a bed? Uh, It would. uh, The the bed, though, speaks of leisure. We can become so involved in pleasure-seeking that we cease to shine. Temptation rarely comes in working hours. It is during leisure time that men are made or marred. Becoming lazy and slothful will put out your light. Some people, you know this, will do anything to do nothing. They're lazy. Oh, no, I'm not lazy. I'm in power-saving mode. No, you're lazy. Amen. The only day of the year that appeals to a lazy man is tomorrow because of procrastination. This will put out your light because to be a shining Christian is going to take some effort. It's going to take some character. And then perverse behavior. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And they which come in and see the light. The word translated there, a secret place, is only found in this this verse. Krupta is the original word. It means a covered way, a vault, a cellar. This is a basement, essentially. It is underground, and no one can see the light. This speaks of secret sin. It speaks of things in your life that no one knows about. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If you're harboring a secret sin, you will not be a shining Christian. Let me ask you this. What is putting out your light in your life today? The point of all these illustrations is that if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, He does not have secret agents. He does not have undercover agents. He asks us to be a light and shine that light to those around us. God wants you to brighten the corner 
where you are. And then <clears throat> persecution. This is a common thing that puts out people's lights. Uh, fear of rejection or opposition. Uh, even though Christ urges us to stand, we often are so quick to fold because we're afraid of what people will say. There's prosperity, pleasure, perverse living, uh, persecution, and then perhaps even worse than persecution is popularity. Oh, we like to be popular. We like to be liked. And sometimes to be popular, we hide our light. To be popular in the world, one must be like the world. If a person is living a Christian life openly, he's more likely to be ostracized or mocked because taking a stand in your life for, for God, taking a stand for, for Christianity, often will terminate relationships in your life. Your life may be a source of conviction to them. We talked about that. Uh, remember verse 11, uh, to, to blessed are you when men shall revile you. They shall persecute you. They shall all manner of evil against you. Blessed. Again, how you live those beatitudes determines your light and determines your salt. So let's look at the practical influence in closing because Jesus tells us why we should shine our light before men. Listen to what it says here because it's very clear that God wants to see our good works glorify God the Father. The Sermon on the Mount is not anthropocentric or man-centered. It is theocentric. It is God-centered. I am incredibly impressed that I got both of those words out right. I tried many times this morning, so amen. Now, this verse does not say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you and pat you on the back and give you a gold medal. No, no, that's not what it says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is our highest calling as a child of God, to glorify the Father. Men are to see our good deeds, the things that we do. Uh, the Greek word, this is interesting. I love this. If you dig a little bit, there's two words in the Greek for the word good. Uh, there's agathos. That simply means something is good. All right. That's just kind of defining good as a quality. And then there is another word, kalos. This doesn't mean only good, but specifically good to look at like magnificent, like attractive, like beautiful. And the word used here is kalos. Uh, the idea is that the deeds of the Christian, they need not only be good, but they also should be attractive. That's what makes them like light, because creatures tend to go toward the light. In the kid's movie, A Bug Life, A Bug's Life. You ever seen that movie before? So in The Bug's Life, someone uh, turned on a bug zapper. And there's two bugs that are flying along, and one of the bugs says to the other bug, No, Harry, don't fly into the light. What does Harry say? I can't help it. It's so beautiful. Zaps. He falls down to the ground. That's the idea. Our light should shine, and it should, uh, sinners should be drawn toward that light of the, of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be so filled with the beautiful light of the gospel that sinners can't help but be drawn toward it. There is a charm in true Christian goodness that makes it a lovely thing. Our lives should be lights to show better way of living and a better way of worshiping. Our good works are to magnify God's grace and power. This is the supreme calling of our life to glorify God. I ask you today, is your light shining? If it is, it's going to make an impact probably greater than you can realize. Life, like me, is too short. 
And uh, that's something I've had to deal with. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Marianne Williamson said this, As we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence actually liberates others. I ask you today, let your light shine. Brighten the corner where you are. Most Christians today, and this is a sad fact but true, most Christians would rather curse the darkness than just turn on the light. We've got a lot of darkness to be upset about. Yes, we live in a dark place. Yes, there's a government's wanting to do all kinds of crazy things, and there's weird outlying groups that seem to have too much uh, influence on our culture. We got those problems. We understand that. But I learned something in a cave last year, that when it's really, really, really dark, the smallest little light makes a huge impact. And I'm asking you to be that light. Because today, friends, in the, because it's dark, not in spite of it, but even because of it, it's the time to shine. So let's do that today. Would you make that commitment along with me? It is a dark time. It's time to shine. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I'd like to give you an opportunity if you're here. Maybe you are under the sound of my voice. And somebody has warned you. They've turned that light on much like Mr. Hasty did for our family. And they've warned you with the gospel, hey, you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ. And maybe you've ignored the warning. I tell you today, don't ignore, don't get upset about that. People warn you that because they love you. Make that decision today. What about you, dear Christian? Has your light been shut off? Are you shining for the Lord Jesus Christ? As she begins to play, would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, however God dealt with you in your heart today.